Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Today on the Focus on Why podcast, I'm joined by Matt Baker. Matt, welcome. Hello, Amy. Thank you for having me. And why are you here, Matt? That's a very good question. Well, you asked me very nicely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm here because I, I've been intrigued by the, the podcast so far and um, what um, in getting it to, to the bottom of why people do things and yeah, I've been focusing quite a lot on why I do what I do, and especially with what's going on in in my personal life right now. That's a huge, there's a huge change coming, which we'll get to shortly, and I feel like I'm starting to get some clarity on it. So I, I thought it would be great to come on and, and share that, and share how I f- feel and believe that my why is shaping up. It's really interesting because I've known you for four years now. And I think what I've noticed is you've always had this strong drive to do what you do. And it's been very clear from the outset that you knew what you needed to do and who you needed to work with. But there was never this sort of this absolute, as you just said, clarity of why you were doing what you were doing. So now you understood how you're going to do it. You masked that quite quickly and started delivering property to communities very quickly. It was just a case of, I guess this light bulb has gone off. What changed? Um, so one of the big things that hit was obviously the COVID uh, outbreak and um, that forced a bit of thought and reflection. And uh, just before COVID, um, I had uh, read a book uh, called uh, KPI, We Your Key Person of Influence by um, Daniel Priestley, who you, you may or may not know. Um, I've got that book here and that uh, I read it for the first time probably about about five years ago when I first got into property it's one of those books that people said oh you should read this one so it went onto the list and I went through it and I actually listened to it at the time I never owned the book until recently and then I listened to it again towards the beginning of this year and and as part of that book uh, there's a, a quiz you can do so I went online did the quiz and and uh, kind of got a sense of how the business was. And I was like, well, that's not, that's not how, how I really want it to be. And um, then was invited to do a strategy session with Daniel Priestley. And then I thought, well, actually, he's talked a lot of sense. Let's, let's, do, let's see how I can work further with him. So I'm now um, working with them on their KPI, Key Person of Influence uh, Business Accelerator. And that's given me so much, well, it's forced me to think and look at what we do. And uh, off the back of that has given me quite a lot of clarity on our business, what the mission is and essentially why I'm doing what I'm doing. Because you've always had the passion and you've always had the, the sort of the profession. You've been you knew what you wanted to do, but it was just that that mission, getting that bit absolutely spot on that he's helping you with. Yeah, I think that's so important. And even from when I first started in property, like that's one of the first questions that um, was asked when I did the first property training course I did you know it's a why uh, do you want to do this and it's not a question I could answer I had this um, idea of what it's going to be for the family or the future family and 
And because that was quite abstract, uh, very hard to pin down exactly what the, re the reasons were. Um, so actually looking back in my, in, in my previous life um, from a very early age, like what are the com common themes going through my life? Um, what is it that drives me? I think I really started to pull the essence of that uh, together. Um, and fundamentally, it is for family because that's always been a huge part of my my life. I've had a, a great relationship with my parents, grandparents, and um, you know, aunts and uncles. You know, we're as a family, we're you know we're relatively close. So, um, wanting to have financial security and um, and build a business which I can be proud of and and leave to to my kids in the future. And something that you mentioned, you mentioned your previous life. I mean, obviously you didn't mean literally a previous life, but your your, <laughs> your former years. How much have they shaped the way that you're working now? So when I was when I was younger, I was well, I've always been into music. Music has been the common thread throughout my life until I hit property. And when I hit property, I, I thought to myself, I, I should be doing this. Uh, well, I thought I was doing to, to to make money to be able to do music. And uh, well, actually, to put it another way, uh, I always thought in my 20s I was going to be a successful musician, go out there and uh, make my money in the music industry and then invest it into other assets. So I knew property was a great thing to be in. Uh, but uh, then when I hit 30, I suddenly realized um, through the input of others that uh, it was going to be the other way around. So that shift was that I was going to make my money and my wealth through property investing and through helping others in their property investing. And then I can invest the profits and that, that into creating uh, a musical legacy because essentially I'm, I'm not really that fussed about houses. I'm more fussed about the intellectual property, the, uh, you know, what you can create, which actually has meaning. So leaving a musical legacy behind of you know, creating musical you know, works and songs, et cetera, um, that has more meaning to me than um, going and buying a, a flat and renting it out. So interestingly enough, yeah, so, so doing, doing that simple property investing, going buying flats, renting them out doesn't interest me as much either because there's actually a lot more to it. And that goes back to my childhood as well, because as a musician, I was a... I'm a piano player and it's a very solitary instrument so it's always something that I would play and uh, I I really enjoyed it when I started and I got to about grade I think it was grade two or three and my parents took well my parents went to the music the music teachers at, at, like parents evening and they they uh, my, my piano teacher sat them down and said I'm a bit concerned about Matthew um, and his uh, upcoming exam next week. I uh, we don't think he's going to pass. To which my parents said, what exam? And so I, I hadn't told my parents about it. I uh, managed to get it uh, entered for an exam and uh, not really practice and not tell my parents. And at that point, my dad stood, stood next to me for like all hours of the day so that I could practice. And I, I passed that exam with the skid of my teeth. And... And then we had a look at why I was playing the piano and um, we, we changed the tack from doing you know, the grades. I still did the grades and the, the deal was I would continue to do grades, 
but also I could do, have lots of fun and we started learning jazz and that's where I started to develop a love of, of jazz music and became a jazz, music, uh, jazz musician uh, through that. Um, so I learned my technique through doing grades and then obviously learned to do the fun stuff. But being a p- piano player is very lonely um, and I didn't really come into my own as a musician until I started working with others. It was about when I was, I think it was about 14 or 15 and uh, one of my best friends at school uh, was a pianist and a bass player and we got together and it was his dad, his mum and dad's 25th wedding anniversary and we, and we did a gig uh, with a band that was called, what were we called at the time? Um, I can't remember the exact name of the band, but uh, I think we might have been called the Dirty Shirts after that ba- after that gig. Anyway, so at one point we were called the Dirty Shirts and we went out and we started gigging, doing weddings and parties for friends and family and, friend- and friends of the family. Um, so we started doing gigs we got paid and you know, playing in a band was really exciting for me it meant that uh, we could create you know, a har- you know, harmony uh, and it was much more rewarding than just sitting by the piano and playing but playing by myself I didn't enjoy that in the same way as working with others and that theme kind of followed through my life when going to university I was always you know, creating bands working with other musicians and um then after university, because I studied music and technology at uni at Edinburgh, and then when I moved to London after 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 uni, I did a bit of travelling after uni. But then after that, moved to London. You know, started working as a session musician uh, with a day job to pay the bills, and worked as a session musician at night and the weekends. And um, it was all about working with uh, original artists, you know, making you know, creating music, and it, all about that end result, that end band being tight, being well thought through. Um, I don't like as a jazz musician. I don't like going and jamming down, you know, down the pub. I much prefer to have a well thought through you know, piece of music which has been re- well crafted, with the opportunity to um, showcase the musicianship of the individuals as well within that. But I find it, I find it amazing that to have that end result, so that sense of community. So that when I got hit, when I hit thirty and started going into property, and um, that the HMO route really rang true to me because it was about creating harmony within houses and people that you know love to live where they are so they and be able to create that space where tenants love to live is one of my big passions and will continue to be um it you know forever i believe so that sense of community really um, came through from an early age and now through to designing what we do uh, which is essentially co-living community living but also as a business um, I've always tried to monetize the music industry. I've always tried to get more out of it. So when we did gigs, you know, I remember when we used to do gigs and we get paid 50 quid, 100 quid each. And I was like, oh, we're rolling in it. It's the age of 16. And it was amazing. Like people paying us to go and play at their weddings. Um, I look back at it now and thinking, why would they pay us? And we weren't that good. <laughs> you know, We were all right, weren't that good. But um, we're a very cost-effective solution for them, knowing how much I would charge to go and do a wedding now as, as a musician, as a band. Um, yeah, it was, it was a very cost-effective way for, a, for um, someone to have a, a live band at their wedding. So, um, yeah, I've always tried to grow a business. So going through university again, doing gigs, paid gigs afterwards, and, and trying to make the most out of, of what we did. And, um, yeah, very quickly realised that that was going to be a very hard thing in the music industry to do to, to have an ongoing income. And it was when I, I was working in a band, uh, probably in my, in my late twenties, I was working with a band um, and the guitarist was in his early forties and he was still working in a, 
in a restaurant you know to pay the pay the rent and I thought well I don't really want to be that person I don't you know and that's um yeah that that's that's highly likely for the majority of musicians you know they get by um and um it's quite massively skewed towards you know the, towards those that that make it and those that, that don't that don't and it's hugely unfair because those that make it aren't necessarily the most talented but that's the same in any any industry in business you know it's not the it's not the cleverest person that's it's the most successful uh, that again came to fruition really when I realized that gigging wasn't going to be the thing I became a teacher so I taught me, uh, piano and that I got very successful at that people started recommending me to the other you know parents loved me they recommended me to other parents and then I got very full very quickly and as, as Daniel Priestley would say become oversubscribed and then started to take on other teachers to teach my waiting list and that became a music school and that was my first successful business um, and I sold that a couple of years ago and uh, it's, it's still going in South Oxfordshire for the person from the person that bought it which is which is great to see that I've started something which is actually growing and even though I've handed that mantle over to somebody else it, yeah I'm very proud to see that um, there is a stamp of a legacy somewhere in the world from pre-property days so I suppose in, in summary that brings the two things that I, I'm really passionate about which is the the sense of creating a great business and that sense of creating a great community which has been in music up till when I was 30 and now in property and within what we do now you bring those two things together and actually that's where the magic happens that's where I'm really passionate that's what I love to do I love to talk about it you know if you if you go go onto any of my social media stuff it's all about co-living shared living great accommodation tenants um loving what they do in fact uh, we've, we've come into the idea we, we just don't like the word tenant we think it's it's like the word hmo we don't like the word hmo we don't like the word tenant that they, they um, have connotations with um, too many bad things so actually we're changing the way we talk about things as well for um so you know we talk about co-living spaces you know rooms housemates um homes rather than hmos and um, we instead of tenants we talk about again housemates uh, members of a community um so instead of someone becoming a tenant they become a, a member of a household uh, which is going to embrace them and um, want them to be part of that, that community so that's what yeah I'm really passionate about you said long-winded way to get get to that that um, answer of your question well when, when there's passion involved it doesn't tend to be a quick answer you know it, it, there's a lot to it and it, there has depth to it and what what I, I was sort of chuckled to myself a little bit was when you said you hit property um, several times actually and it's almost like oh I hit property in my 30s it sounds a bit like you know you go through a stage like puberty and <laughs> it's like yeah I got to the property stage in my 30s it was brilliant um, but, but for me I just want to sort of talk about the community and why community is so important to you because I'm a big believer that the uh, yeah, the sum is greater than the you know, the individual parts. Um, so when someone is working solo, obviously they can get you know, quite a lot done. You get, you get your head down, you get into something. But um, if you're working with other people, you can actually do a lot more because um, you are only one opinion. You're only you've only got one set of eyes and it doesn't matter whether you're the most visionary person out there or the most analytical person out there. It doesn't matter what your personality is. You have one part of the puzzle. You don't have the whole solution. And even you know, the most successful people out there, the entre entrepreneurs that are changing the world, 
they would very openly say, you know, I don't do this by myself. I have not created this success by myself. I may have had an idea, but there's absolutely no way that I could have implemented that without all these other people that are doing amazing things. You don't know them by name, but they are probably more important. Well, they're just as important in this business as you know, the Richard Branson's of the world. Did you feel that the last couple of months of finding your clarity has actually made life simpler for you? Yeah, it definitely has, actually. And yeah, I think when COVID hits, there's um, in the pandemic, the first reaction is that fear reaction of, oh, what's going on? I don't know what's happening. And then you kind of go inside yourself and quite insular. And there was definitely a week where I was like, I don't know how, you know, what's going to happen, you know, uh, and I was very fearful and I kind of reverted back to some bad, some old bad habits, um, which I you know, worked hard to get out of. So I, I feel that when, and, and well, at that time as well, I was very concerned about money, whether it was going to come in and, and something which um, I've, well, I'm aware of is that when you focus just on your own personal income, your own personal yeah, income expenditure, um, you're only ever going to have that, you know, that's that tight, uh, you, you're not going to have that huge wealth that you want because you're only focused on, on the, the minutiae. So actually, one thing that I had to force myself to do was to think about the bigger picture and, and the bigger why. And actually what that did was took my focus away from the fact of you know, paying the, you know, the bills and actually, again, focused on the, the wider world. Because if you do that and focus on your mission, then actually all of that stuff will just take care of itself. And I've started to see that happen. And after that first week, week and a half of being quite fearful, started putting energy towards creating that why and just writing it down. So we've now got, you know, what our what our business stands for, our core values is written down on a piece of paper. It's printed off. It's been sent out to all the team that we work with. Everyone's come back with some amazing feedback on it, and um, it feels like it's us. It feels feels very true to what we do, and I've got a very clear sense of you know our mission you know, to create a positive in, impact on HMO and Kelvin communities across the UK to create lifelong peace of mind for both landlord and tenant. So being a having that goal in mind just knowing what what we're doing and what we're changing has just started massive massively different conversations with people and uh, people are starting to contact me about our vision for the future and for the future of this co-living shared living uh, environment um, which is going to be a growing market despite the self-isolation despite everything that's happened in the last couple of months I think we're going to see a massive a revolution in uh, in HMOs. I use that term, but it, they are going to evolve, and the old way of doing HMOs is not going to cut mustard anymore. So interesting that your your values, your personal values, are, are highly reflected in your business values. I mean, not interesting, but I mean, it makes sense, right? Oh, oh, well, yeah, definitely. And I, like in terms of the core values, it was and I, just simplifying it. You know, just getting it down there, just brainstorming words that we like um, and putting it into you know, short sentences. Um, and the core values, you know, we've got a document which is internal document, which we wouldn't put out to the wider world. Uh, and we've got the, the, the kind of summary, which uh, will be going on our websites, etc. But it is about the community, about you know, building community, uh, being the best version of yourself and uh, just well, well, yeah, just, just um, I think about looking to grow 
rather than shrink as a business and as individuals within a business. And a, a couple of words I'm picking up on a lot is, is building and creating important to you. Oh, massively. Um, um, when I was a musician, I the you know, the creation of of money as a session musician um, generally seems to be around playing uh, music, which, so for example, of doing wedding gigs or you know doing functions, parties. So you're playing other people's music and the music which is um, playing on the radio. And it, that can be fun for a little while, but, but there's only so many times that you want to go out there and play, you know, uh, a Stevie Wonder track because it's just quite not quite the same. Uh, you know, even though you could, and it taints the music you absolutely love. Yeah, so I, I remember there's, uh, we used to play um, Superstition all the time in wedding bands and function bands. And, and I... I felt like that song lost its essence the more we played it because um, because it's just not the same as as the original. And I hadn't heard the original for, for a, quite a long time because I'm so sick of that song. I play it so many, you know, people always ask for it. It's a standard one. It's a straightforward one for, for the band to know. We've played it so many times. And I listened to the original and I just, you know, you just fall in love with the song again because like, actually this is such an amazing piece of music, amazing piece of art that yeah so so playing you know someone else's music as much as i i loved that it it lost it kind of lost its way so when i i made a conscious decision not to do function gigs and um kind of later on in my 20s i just said well i'm not going to do that because i ended up just doing it for the money and i just when i'm doing music i only want to work with people who are creating their own music um, where i can have an impact on that so i can bring my skills to the party and i can help them to you know people who maybe aren't pianists who, ha who have an idea of what they want something to be on the piano I can make that into uh, what's in their head for example and um, that's always worked really well and that's what I still do now in terms of music I, I work with a band they're called Look Keba it's an Afro-Cuban inspired world world music band you know we are you know, a small group and then the band of core musicians and then when we come together the band is much larger um and um i've always had a love of uh, afro-cuban music um soul jazz latin funk all that kind of stuff it is my my core music absolutely love rock i've played in rock bands for years you know if you go back in time on social media you'll see me playing for uh for bands like the mars patrol we played you know, festivals and all sorts of stuff it's so much fun and i come back to what i loved before which is playing playing jazz and, and latin american music um, so yeah, this band that we're working on at the moment, I'm currently recording. Um, so um, it's um, yeah. What was the question? <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's a. It's all about uh, what I'm hearing is all about what you're able to create with other people. It's it's not being solitary anymore. It's 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 having those people in in all aspects of your life in yeah. at home, in work, in in your passion, in your music. Just making sure you're you're collaborating with others. Yeah, I, I think that's where I really have, uh, where I really come into my own and I, what I really love doing. And I, I realized this early on in music as well, it is connecting people. So I have a conversation with someone going, actually, I know this person who's, who's really good at that and, and uh, you know, bringing people together. So as a band leader, that would be obviously bringing the musicians together. And um, then I would pass other musicians onto other people. So oh, this person would be grateful for what you're doing, this project, etc. So um 
connecting people is always something I've been quite passionate about. And again, that's, if I think about it, I, that's still what I'm doing, connecting with people. I was going to say, and creating a legacy in the process. Well, well that's the, the plan is to connect with people and create great, um, well, well, something which to, which to be proud of and um, conversations I have with uh, property developers uh, um, that maybe don't do co-living and HMOs, the other types of property, they maybe do new build property. So we don't do new build, we generally convert. But on a new build property, you can build a new build property um, either to last you know, 25 years or to last 250 years. And I think there's too many people out there maybe not building to, uh, to a high enough standard to have these buildings which, are, which you'd be proud of um, to, for your kids. Say that um, you walk past a property and that you've developed and you go, yeah, I built that. Um, yes, I'm proud of that. And you just, you just walk around and you see the types of properties that were built um, 100 years ago. And you see the types of properties that were built 50 years ago. And you're like, the, the ones that were built 50 years ago are being torn down and rebuilt. The ones that were built 100, 200 years ago, they're still standing. So I think there's a big thing, I think big responsibility for us as developers of, of property is to is to leave a legacy, to leave quality. And as, especially at the moment is to, yeah, is to is to create something which is sustainable as well. So um, uh, one of the things that um, where I started with with Daniel Priestley, we talked about choosing some global goals, and um, so the UN has got seventeen global goals that that uh, for sustainability, and it was it was quite hard to choose the two that we wanted, but I'm very now set on the two that we that we have. So we we represent and we're looking to make changes in uh, goal eight and eleven, which are um, sustainable cities, and then um, building um, communities. Oh, sorry business so sustainable cities and communities and then uh building um decent work and economic growth decent work and economic growth exactly mm. so we yeah i think within that building of a legacy if those buildings are more environmentally friendly they're more economical to run um it has a knock-on impact for the environment but also knock-on impact for the business it can your business will become a lot more profitable and we hold properties we buy them we renovate them and we put uh, a group of people in there um, that, and we pay all the bills. So we want to be able to have some control over that. We want to be able to minimize what that's, that cost is going to be. So I am, you know, I'm very keen to, to explore getting you know, solar panels, you know, air source heat pumps, it's, you know, getting the best sustainable options for heating and operating shared living. And, um, you know, those are conversations that I'm starting to have now and um, something that I believe will be a massive thing uh, for us and for those that we work with um, with their properties. It just seems a no brainer to me. And what type of work are you, or what type of people are you keen to help in the process? So essentially, I haven't really said who we are or, or what, we, what we do, but I am the co-founder of two businesses, one which is a developer called Scott Baker Properties. And I work with my business partner, Niall Scott, um, to, we, we're to buy properties, we buy houses, um, commercial buildings, and we convert them into what essentially becomes shared living and the best quality shared living. We also do some social, social housing schemes and supported living schemes within that business as well. So we work um, with those that have the funds to afford this really nice co-living. But then we also work with um, councils and charities that provide accommodation for those that that need it probably more 
So that's on the development side. Um, on the training side, we actually help others to develop the same. So we've really niched down on what it is we create. We create uh, next level HMOs. We create the, the, the next wave. So in the next 10 years, we're going to be creating these co-living spaces, the next level HMOs. And uh, we can't do it alone. We can't have that positive impact on HMO and co-living communities without the help of others. So we have a method that we use and we you know, we help people that are in a position to act on that. So, so, so generally those people are people who are landlords who are looking to grow their businesses um, into this HMO co-living sector, people that maybe have been in HMOs for the last 10 years and suddenly started to see it not working for them, then uh, there's an evolution that can happen with a business like that. And then there's also the, when you take um, a landlord who's maybe starting now, maybe been a landlord for a year or two and sees the potential in this HMO and um, co-living community then we say well this this are the steps that you need to go through the things that you need to be aware of as you're doing it and then we just project manage that outcome to make sure that the choices they make are the best ones um, that uh, you know quite a lot, a lot of our clients um, have the capital to invest in these types of projects and um, even where we, we started with with nothing we use investment finance to so using investors to grow our development business um, but actually we know that um, uh, to have an impact, you need a combination of investment, but also you know, those people who've got you know, the clout to go and make a big impact on uh, on this industry. And you mentioned working with charities. What's, what are you hoping to achieve there and who are you working with? So um, at the moment, I can't say too much about it as, as we're um, just going through the motions with a couple uh, of, of providers. Um, but um, what we are what well, our strategy is is to identify the need so we reach out to a care provider and a housing association we identify the need um, that they have and essentially we buy to order so they say we have a need for uh, 10 properties to house these 10 individuals that have these very very complex needs and so what we can do is go out find the properties and then renovate them to the exact specification to meet those needs um, and um, either we can hold them ourselves and the, the housing association will pay pay the rent to us uh, or we, like, we can then sell them on to um, you know uh, uh, maybe an institutional investor or, or, um, or a trust or a fund or a pension that, that would hold those assets uh, for the turnover um, so that's essentially what uh, we're doing at the moment. And we're also uh, yeah, so chatting to care providers and homeless charities as well, especially at the moment with, after COVID, we've got a, a resettlement of homeless people who've just been taken into hotels. And you know, we've got homeless uh, charities that have been working with them and councils that have been working with them to change the way that, and they, that they are to kind of make sure that homelessness is now not the norm it takes at least 21 days to form a new habit so if we can take someone off the street for what, what, what we're up to now like 70 days uh, they're now in a new habit of living inside so we don't want to put them back outside um so um, there are a lot of there's a lot of need now for for accommodation uh, onward accommodation for those that have been homeless that have been worked with over the last couple of months um to get them you know back into society I think that's something that you, you've mentioned to me before about helping the individuals and helping them back on their feet directly, as opposed to sort of funding through charities. You want to actually really be there. And how do you help people to get on their own feet? 
So I'm a big believer that uh, that sustainable solutions are much better than just donating money to charity. I think donating money to charity yeah, is a good thing and um, can help uh, temporarily, but you constantly have to re-raise that money constantly to, to, to keep that solution going. Whereas if we can create more sustainable solutions to these problems, then you're going to, you, you then solve the problem. Whereas charity, I don't necessarily think solves the problem because if you, if you're, goal is to constantly ask people for money to uh, and yeah i to say essentially i would much prefer to invest money even if it's a donation into a business it's a social enterprise uh, so for example uh, one thing that you know our, our group the kpi accelerator uh, we yeah we help to fund a a beekeeper uh, in a developing country so they could grow their business so uh, as a beekeeper that's going to help grow their business um it's going to so it's going to help their family it's going to help their local community local economy but also it's going to help the environment so it has three knock-on effects by just making a small investment into that business um so it's like a micro loan or even just a just an investment so that is a much better way of of um um investing in sustainable solutions rather than um just thinking about you know, ch charity for charity's sake. So when it comes to the housing and housing people like homelessness, you know, I, 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 there's a big, it's a big uh, problem with housing in the UK generally, but that there, there must be a sustainable way of being able to house the homeless. And so we can get people off the streets really quickly or prevent them from going onto the streets. And you know, um, you know, at Scott Baker Properties, our passion more is about preventing homelessness rather than you know, trying to solve it once someone is homeless. Um, because uh, it's the prevention is better than better than the cure. That's that's my belief. Um, so, for example, we do work with charities like the Clock Tower Sanctuary in Brighton, who help young people to get back on their feet. So we run Brighton Property Meet every month. It was in a pub in Brighton, currently on on Zoom, but uh, when we go back to the pub, you know, we, we say so for that we do raise money to help those guys at, Bright, at Brighton at Clock Tower Sanctuary to rehabilitate uh, young people from, from the age of 16 to 25 or 18 to 25 to get back on their feet. Um, and that hits our target of trying to prevent homelessness. And then granted that is a donation, but that donation to that, to, to that particular charity helps to prevent the problem. Uh, so prevention is better than the cure. And then the next step for that would then be to look to find ways to house these people and find temporary accommodation for them whilst they're getting back on their feet. So to actually stop them getting onto the onto the streets. So um, that's something we're passionate about. And it's, it's something which is difficult to do. As, as I as I said earlier, there's you know, I have ideas about that. Um, you know, I was trying to create new ideas, um, but obviously you know, being too busy to enact them all, all at once. <laughs> so one thing at a time. I'm a bit scattergun. I have to remind myself to go you know, one thing at a time. Yeah, it's really hard to sort of pick one particular cause in, in life and and trying to pick one of the 17 goals, uh, the global goals. It was I found that a very difficult task as well when I'm working with Daniel Priestley. So coming right back down to your immediate community, tell us a bit more about what's happening there. I presume you're referring to um, my... Uh, impending fatherhood there <laughs> um, so so yeah so i i am expecting my um uh, first child in uh, towards the end of june 
So I'm not sure when this episode will be going out. Uh, it'll, Congratulations, you're a father. <laughs> well, thank you. Yes, <laughs> I, could, I could well be a father by then. Um, but um, yeah, well, I could be a father tomorrow and everything would be fine. So yeah, uh, yeah so I'm expecting my first child. And as I said earlier in the podcast, this um, when I first got into property, it was about this future family, about that abstract if, a feeling of wanting a family but not knowing what it's going to be about and not feeling that why so not being connected to it in the same way as I'm connected to my you know my, my sister my parents etc so my, my nephews so up till now then like, like everything was was for my nephews it was about the future generation um, but obviously now it's for obviously still um, working or well, helping them but working working with helping my my, my daughter um yeah who who um uh, yes, he's coming very, very soon. That's very exciting times, Matt. It, oh, I'm petrified. I'm very <laughs> excited as well, but I'm very petrified. And um, you know, yeah, I think it's, anyone who's thinks back to when they had their first child, um, as as the guy, it's it's hard to hard to pinpoint the the what it's going to be like. I think um, you know, so Lara's had you know eight months now to get used to being the you know, get used to being a mum things are changing for her whereas nothing's changed for me really and um, I, I know for a fact it's going to be an overnight change um, so we can do all the preparation and we can do all the reading maybe we can listen to podcasts and you know, all about it and I've got my I've got my book on the side of my bed about um, being you know, being the best dad uh, my, my guidebook so I can just refer to that I was like how do I change a nappy oh, here it is how do I do this change it so it's a, a great book that Lara bought me um so um so yeah I'm excited <laughs> but petrified oh and, and I think that's that's the right frame of mind to come at it I mean nobody can actually really truly prepare you for beca- becoming a parent and and a mother or a father because it doesn't matter what people say when that baby arrives it's just a whole different feeling and you, you you don't know what that feeling is going to be until it happens and then you'll get it you'll understand and you'll know so yeah exciting times yeah so that would I know we've talked a lot about you know business and community but you know realistically that's that's the why it's the, it's the legacy so um it's for her and any more kids that we have to ensure that they um they can be proud of their dad and that they can um, look at what we do and and go yes this is something that we're proud of it's something that I'm happy to to take on potentially take on or, or or not and just live an amazing life of of choice um so that they have the choices of what they they want to do um yeah so 2020 is an interesting year for you you, you finally read a book that you had been on your list for a long time and yet where that's now taken you you wouldn't have known and you probably weren't ready to be fair I'm a great believer of you pick the book up when it's supposed to be right you know time for you and you get frustrated because you wish you'd, you'd sort of done that test sooner and met Sir Daniel Priestley sooner and, and come to these decisions sooner but actually was it the right time before probably not no I think a lot of things come together um, to form a, a change of path and um, and I'm a believer that you know, the, the the pandemic, as as horrific as it has been for some people, um, has actually probably helped more people than it's harmed in in a lot of ways. Um, in the way that it that um, it's forced people to stop and think, 
and yes there's there's probably going to be some negatives and the, the longer the lockdown is then obviously that there are quite a lot of economic problems social problems that come with that um, just getting people out and you know working and, and you know to a sense of normality but I, I just believe that that we are going to have a completely new outlook on things. I don't think it's, going to, it's not going to go back to business as usual. But um, yeah, all these things have come together to to really change things because 2020 has been it's going to be a completely different year to what I thought it was going to be. In January, I had a plan of what we were, you know, what we were going to do, what we were going to achieve, and we were like kind of head head down, get on with it, and it was working okay, but it wasn't working great. And then. Yeah, and then all these things are kind of aligned and actually it's like well i've just suddenly gone on a different path and life's got a little bit easier which is probably a good thing with a baby on the way and i feel like there's a yeah there's a reason so i've been getting up thinking yeah i know what i'm doing today i'm happy about that and yeah and i'm, I'm the busiest i've ever been uh, throughout lockdown uh, I'm, chat I'm having the most conversations i've ever had um, very meaningful conversations as well um, and um, especially around co-living and uh, I've started to network with some amazing people who've got some amazing ideas about what um, what shared living can be and should be um, and uh, you know I'm really looking forward to you know, taking that conversation further over the next you know, the next few years essentially making sure that the rest of the that everyone else knows about it and knows that actually this is something which needs to happen well, I really look forward to to following your progress and uh, seeing what you create and build going forward. Thank you. Uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> me too. So, Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been absolutely fantastic to hear all about your whys, your several whys, and, and welcome to the world, Little Miss Baker, very soon. How do people get in contact with you? So if people want to connect with me, I said, I think the best way is probably to send me a direct message on, on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm also on Instagram and Facebook, but uh, LinkedIn is where I generally hang out. Perfect. So one final message for the audience, please, Matt. One final message. So I think it comes back to this sense of, of community. I think that that's probably one of the most important things. It's about understanding that you are not alone and whatever is going on in in your life it's happened to someone else before and you can reach out and you can speak to other people it's understanding that by doing that you're more likely to reach a a, a different outcome because as i said earlier you know, you're only one person um, you can't see every every single angle um, of what's going on this could be personally could be in business so actually by um, by reaching out by communicating by collaborating there is much more opportunities there's much more potential for finding whatever it is that you are looking for or you're looking to achieve Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star iTunes review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of the inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.